Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. I'm your host today, Cara Bostock. And we're going to be talking all things the Spanish Grand Prix with our wonderful guest, Chris McCarthy. Make sure to find us on social media. We're on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, www.everythingf1.com. And I should say a big thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, who we'll be hearing a bit more from later. So to get things started, hello, Chris. How are you? Uh, hello. Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you very much for for having me. It's great to to join you on the on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a been a great season so far, hasn't it? Uh, we've got another great race. It's almost a shame there's there's been a bit of a break, but uh, yeah, really looking forward to to the Spanish Grand Prix, and it's great to be on to uh, to talk to you all uh, ahead of it. I shall be finding out all your thoughts on the Spanish Grand Prix, but first, <laughs> I shall I must introduce our Everything F1 team as well. So we've got Emma. Hello, Emma. How are you? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I've not been on a pod with you before, but I'm loving the accent, so I'm ready to hear more. <laughs> we've got lots of great accents today. A nice transition to Coops. Coops, hello. How are you today? Ooh. Oh, yes. Hi. Uh, sorry, I was on mute there for a second. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, how are you? You doing well? I'm good. I'm excited. I haven't been on a pod for a while, so I'm excited just you know to geek out about F1 with everyone today. We've come to the right place then. Exactly. And so I suppose I should give a little background on Barcelona. So we've got 66 laps. Max Verstappen holds the lap record last year. And obviously, Carlos Sainz, he's a Spaniard. Maybe we're all hoping he's going to do well this weekend. I'll throw it back to Chris. He sort of started on it. Maybe, Chris, what are your, some of your predictions for this weekend? What are we expecting? Um, well, I think it's it's certainly going to be, you know, the, the Red Bull Ferrari head-to-head is going to be continuing, isn't it? It's been... That's been the story of the season so far. And it's been absolutely fantastic to see. I mean, McLaren, sometimes they turn up, sometimes they're not. So, you know, whether they're going to this weekend, uh, we'll see. We don't know how the cars are going are gonna to go around there. Obviously, uh, with uh, the porpoising this year, everything's a lot, a little bit different. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out round uh, what can be uh, quite a bumpy circuit. Um, but yeah, it, it really, it's going to be the whole, you know, Red Bull versus Ferrari. Uh, and this would be a great chance for Carlos Sainz. He's had a couple of DNS this year. Without those, he would be comfortably second, I think, in the standings. Um, so yeah, this would be a great chance for him to, to go and get a win under his belt and and really establish himself uh, in the in the championship. Huh? You mentioned, obviously, the top two there. Do you think, like we said, McLaren, Mercedes, do you think they're going to be able to sort of make their mark this weekend? Well, I think Mercedes uh, have written themselves off for, for the near future. I mean, we're coming back to Europe, so you never know, do you, with with upgrades. There, there could be some some upgrades for, for Mercedes. Uh, I haven't heard anything that they're bringing anything special. Uh, you know, that might be, I might hear something different here this evening, but... Yeah, this is usually the race in years gone by where everything sort of changes for the European leg of the season, doesn't it? You have the start of the season and then it's, uh, oh, we'll wait for Barcelona until we'll see where we are, where we stand for the rest of the season. Uh, so maybe that could be the case again this weekend. Maybe we could see them make some improvements. It looks like they're too far behind, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, let's see how McLaren get on. They were they were very off the pace in Miami. Uh, maybe that was a one-off the track. Maybe just didn't suit them too well there. Uh, we'll see how they go. This is a track they know very well, so I'm sure that uh, you know they'll be up there as come battling for top five at least. I'd say. 
Yeah, well, obviously, Russell's been in top five in every race this season. Surprising yes, yeah. consistency from Mercedes. And like you say, I think we all want to see consistency from both Mercedes and McLaren so we can have that fight. Maybe moving across to Emma, I know Chris Olsey and we spoke about Carlos Sainz. Hopefully he's going to have a great weekend. Do you, do you think he's going to have a great weekend or are there any other drivers that you think, you know what, I'd put my money on them? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting one, especially if we're close to the end and it's a one-two and Charles is at the front because, or, or Carlos, sorry, is at the front to see whether they will do team orders because obviously that will help the World Championship battle. But at the same time, it is his home race and it would be nice for him to get a win given everything that's happened to him recently. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one, especially considering that Ferrari seems to be faster on the turns and then they've got this really long straight on the Spanish Grand Prix circuit so it'll be interesting to see whether Red Bull which I know they're bringing updates and their uh, straight line speed is so good so it'll be interesting to see like the comparison between the two and um, yeah yeah so I'm really excited to watch it. Like you say maybe on paper we're thinking Red Bull might have the advantage here like you said with that straight line speed but then you obviously cannot write off this Ferrari and we all hope I've said it. This is the third time I've said it. Now I'm sending all the vibes to Carlos Sainz that he's going to do well. Um, Coots, what about you? What are your predictions? What are you thinking for the Spanish Grand Prix? Well, I think this could be a Red Bull one too. Uh, you know, you can... Like, we all know the genius that is Adrian Newey. If the rumours are to be believed, they're bringing a big package. I think Ferrari are too. I'll need to see if I can find the tweet while we we're talking. Uh, one of the kind of Ferrari-based Twitter feeds put a list of everything that Ferrari are bringing this weekend. Uh, mm. So I've heard of Mercedes bringing something, I've heard of Red Bull bringing something, I've now heard Ferrari bringing something. So now if they all work, that's going to be an interesting weekend, but you can't really you can't really forget about Adrian Newey and what he does with his pencil and his bit of paper, which he still does. He doesn't use Apple iPads or anything like that, it's a bit of paper and a ruler. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, as long as their engine or their not called Honda power engine power unit uh, lasts the full weekend, I think it's going to be difficult to choose between, uh, between uh, Verstappen and uh, Sergio, to be honest. Mm. And then, Chris, maybe thinking about some of the teams a bit lower down the rankings or have been, is there anyone that stands out that you think, oh, I think maybe, you know, Ocon and Fernando, that it's going to be a really good weekend for them or any teams that you'd like to see do well? Yeah, Alpine is definitely, you know, a, a great shout, isn't it? You know, this is a great track for Fernando, uh, obviously his home race as well. So uh, there'll be a lot of support for him. Uh, and uh, overall, they've had some great results so far this year. Uh, I, I still don't think we've seen the, the best of Alpha Tauri yet either. Um, it's been weird that they haven't really had that a great performance in qualifying that we, we've seen in years gone by. Uh, I, I really do not think we've seen them at their best yet. So uh, there's going to be a weekend where I think they turn up, uh, you know, and really fight for top five, top six. So who knows that could, this could be their weekend for that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say Alpine are, are definitely in contention for, for a good result. But, uh, uh, but, but overall, I agree, you know, Red Bull are going to look, yeah, are going to be a tough one to beat, aren't they? Uh, overall, it's going to be a race that's probably won on Saturday. I mean, the, the Spanish Grand Prix isn't uh, is never a race that's uh, one to write home about. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, often one that is decided on on the Saturday. It's very hard to overtake round there. The new layout they did add in did help. I, I must admit, though, the, the down the back straight. I thought that that helped a lot last year. So uh, it, it did help provide some more overtaking. But uh, qualifying is going to be crucial. So yeah, one lap pace is, is going to be key around there. Do you think, obviously, we've seen that it has been a bit easier to overtake with these new regulations, these new cars. Do you think that's going to have any impact? And this might be the year that it's a bit more exciting, more overtakes? Possibly. I, I think this will be uh, perhaps the biggest test for for the, the new changes so far this season, right? I mean, this was this is genuinely usually the race, not only for the upgrades, but we get to this race and everyone just follows the lead around two seconds, three seconds apart, and it is a bit of a snooze fest usually. So, and it's just because you can't follow each other. You know, the, the long, you know, that first 
uh, first sector, long sweeping right-handers, left-handers, it's so hard to stay close through there. So this will be a great test, uh, actually, it's a great point, uh, to see how close the cars can run around a track which traditionally is is so hard to uh, to overtake on. So so yeah, in that sense, it, it, it you know it's it's a very exciting one to to see how it plays out. I think we're all hoping for some excitement from the Grand Prix, and I think. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's it hasn't disappointed so far, has it? I've got yeah. to say, if there's a year that we're going to get a really good Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, this is going to be the season, surely. Yeah. And those that make the regulations will be like, look, this is what we've done. <laughs> we've, even the Spanish Grand Prix is thrilling now. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll come across to Emma again. Is there is there any teams or anyone you want to talk about that you're looking out for this weekend? Um, well, I think Chris touched on it before, but in terms of porpoising, I know that some teams are really struggling with that along the straights, so... Again, with that long straight at the bottom, it'd be interesting to see who struggles with that. Because I know that you just mentioned AlphaTauri. I think they have struggled with porpoising along the straights and Mercedes as well. Uh, I haven't heard anything about, you know, Mercedes upgrades. I don't know whether they will do something to change, you know, the problems that they've been having. But um, yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see if anyone struggles with that. Because like Chris said, there's not a lot of chances for overtaking on the circuit. So I think some of it will come down to the car itself rather than, you know, like the speed that the driver can go. Do you think Mercedes have almost written themselves off now for this season that they're not going to be anywhere near Red Bull and Ferrari? Yeah. And I think I saw a tweet the other day that said maybe that they're going to start concentrating on 2023 and their car for them because they feel, I think there's still a chance they can get towards the top, but whether they're going to it gets to the point where they could win the championship. It's not looking likely at this point. Mm. And then Coops, maybe throwing this one across to you. I think there's been a lot on social media about Lewis Hamilton because obviously George, I think he's beat him now in almost every race. Um, and, you know, Alonso came out and said, when I won, I was in the fastest car. When, you know, Schumacher, when he was in the fastest car, a lot of media attention around this. What do you think, Coops, about that relationship between Russell and Hamilton? Do you think that will be tested this weekend again? Oh, of course it will. Lewis Hamilton is not used to a teammate beating him. Uh, it happened once and the person had to change himself that much every time. So it's just not something that happens. And then the last time it happened before he, uh, the Rosberg thing where it got close, a certain Spanish driver spat the dummy. Uh, which caused uh, caused a bit of an issue with Spygate and things like that. So, I mean, the thing is, any headline with Hamilton in it has to be used by a very large sack of salt. Because uh, you have to look at it. Is it legitimate? A legitimate, like you know, article or headline, or is it more just to annoy people because? they know people are going to have a reaction to Hamilton. He's not happy because he shouldn't be fighting in a Mercedes where he's fighting down the order. I think the three years that George has had in a Williams underperformed and doesn't work to the way that he wants it to work, but he still figures out how to get it to work is why he is where he is. I mean, also, there is luck. Sometimes luck, safety cars, strategies, things like that work in, but... I might be a wee bit early saying this and I don't intend to, I don't mean to piss off Hamilton fans, but in my years of watching Formula One since the early 90s, there's there's always a watershed moment. You always look back and think that's the moment. And I think this season is the minute, the moment where Formula One's moving away from Hamilton. Drivers don't forget how to drive cars. The cars move away from the way they want to drive. If you follow, it's kind of a weird kind of roundabout way of saying it. You know, Sebastian Vettel knows how to drive a car. He wins four championships. But when he goes into a Ferrari that doesn't suit his driving, suit his driving style, he can't perform. And I think that's kind of where Hamilton's at at the moment. He's not getting what he wants. Whereas George is able to just work with what he's got and do it better with that extra added wee bit of luck. He will adapt. He'll figure it out. The car will get upgrades where it'll be more suited to his style or he can get it into the window. Uh, the car itself seems to be very, very sensitive. Because if you remember back in Miami, during free practice, I think Russell was first in one of the free practice sessions. Now, you go to qualifying, the only thing that changed the qualifying in the car was the temperature of the track went up a few degrees and they couldn't get, they weren't in the window anymore. <laughs> you know, so the Mercedes is just, just a bit weird. 
in terms mm-hmm. of setup. It's very sensitive, and I don't think Hamilton's really adjusting quite as quick as George Russell is. Uh, so it's it's a weird one because I don't. I think I wouldn't be surprised if George was in front of Hamilton, but then I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton in front of George. It's just it's I think because of the type of car I got and the tools they've got, it's just so finely balanced. Whether they're going to be in the top ten or twelve or thirteen. Chris, what do you think about the season Lewis Hamilton's been having? And do you think it's, mm. you know, the car doesn't fit? It's it's him, it's the car? Yeah, what do you think about this season? Well, I mean, first, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, Coops was saying there. Um, with George, I think one thing you've got to take into account, that he was driving a car which, which, which was a load of rubbish, basically. And the setup window for that Williams was probably very, very small. Um, but yeah, to get it to something that would get him into Q2 or, or near Q3, that, that setup window was very small. Uh, and he managed to find it every race constantly. Uh, so he's very good at that. He's very good at working with, a, a, you know, driving around a car that, that isn't performing well. So for him, this hasn't really, you know, he's not stepped into a car where he's now got the luxury of, you know, a great setup. He's having to fight the same battles as before. He's, and he's fighting them very well. He's been in the top five uh, in every race. Uh, for Hamilton, this is a completely new challenge. I don't think he's ever had this before, really. I mean, you know, he had some some of those seasons at McLaren where, you know, he, he had some pretty bad results, but uh, nothing like this where he's been outperformed by his teammate. Uh, personally, I just don't, I think, you know, the what happened at the end of last season, I don't think he's quite got over that yet. Um, there is perhaps a chance, like Coop said, maybe this is the, the moment where we all look back on in years to come where it was like that one point, that one decision from the steward uh, kind of ended his career as we knew it. Um, I hope that's not the case, but I don't think he's fully recovered from that mentally yet. I, I still think that he's he's getting back to grips with everything. Uh, I think we'll see him back at his best uh, when, you know, when the car gets back to its best. But, um, but yeah, it, it, he's obviously a little bit strange to see him being outperformed, but you've got to give credit to, to George Russell. He's made all the right calls on strategy mid-race and he's been rewarded for it. Um, but, um, but yeah, this is everything he did with Williams, all those great performances he put in in qualifying in the races. Uh, you know, this is, this is showing now with the, with the performances he's putting in, in the Mercedes car. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you've made there. You almost don't realise, you know, the build-up to a championship, the pressure he's under, and then that split-second decision, almost the grief. Like, how how do you mm. get over that? Yeah. And as well, like you've both said, George Russell, he is almost made to not be in the best car. He's had so much experience compared to Lewis, who's always been in this fantastic car. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, this is, I'm no F1 driver, but I used to race myself in, in go-karts, right? And uh, I raced on a chassis which was very hard to set up and if you moved from you know if you went from a chassis like that to a chassis which was very easy to set up then it was much more of a luxury you, you could get the setup really easy so uh, I think that you know George Russell was kind of had that I'm, I'm no George Russell right <laughs> you know but, <laughs> but I'm just saying I, I've had I, I know I've kind of had a similar experience at a much much lower level um but yeah, I think I think he is still. I think the degree from last season is still there, and you've got we've got to remember he went off offline for uh, however many weeks it was, and um, you know you, you don't you know sort of do that unless you you really were going through uh, some sort of grief mentally. So um, so yeah, maybe he just hasn't fully recovered from it yet, and needs a, needs a, needs this season to get back back to his best, uh, and uh, and then we'll see him go back for it. Hopefully, one more season before before he hangs up the helmet. Yeah, you'd hope so. We'll try not to channel Coop's dark predi- predictions that this is the beginning <laughs> of the end. And we'll hope he's got one more season in him, you know, to get to overtake that Schumacher record. I, w- I will say before you move on that if the season doesn't get any better, I think he'll sack it off and finish off. I don't, I think if he's sitting down at the, languishing down near the bottom, to, uh, you know, at the bottom of the top 10, not really in the fight. You know, I don't see. He doesn't have anything else to prove, and I don't think he's he's not the same as maybe your Sebastian Vettel, Alonso, who's quite happy, or even Raikkonen, who's just quite happy to turn up and race. I don't think Hamilton will do that. I think he'll be like, right, you know what? Nanda, you know, I've made my money. He's got a lot of other things he wants to do: music, fashion, these stuff to do within the you know society things that mean a lot to him. 
I think he'd rather just, do you know what? Ah, fine, you carry on, guys. And I mean, again, not to really annoy the Hamilton fans, Formula One is in a very good place without Lewis Hamilton. And not to say that Lewis Hamilton's a reason why Formula One is, is what it is. You know, look at the, the, the youngsters that are waiting in the wings and the guys we've got. I mean, we all forget Max Verstappen's only 24, you know, 23, 24. So, you know, I'm, I don't not like Lewis Hamilton. I'm kind of interested now that we're at this point, what Formula One's going to be like without him, in a way. But not in a nasty way. I don't want him out the door. I'd rather see him stay there next year. But I'm kind of, hmm. you know, as a Scottish person, I would like, to, you know, to put the analogy over to the Scottish football. What would Scottish football be like without Celtic and Rangers? You know, how would the, how would the dynamics work? Similar idea to Formula One. What's it going to be like without Lewis Hamilton? And to not upset the panel, when Sebastian Vettel goes as well, a few people here probably don't want to think about that. But, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of interested to see where it goes. And I kind of think that we're kind of seeing a bit of a change in the regard. Yeah, I disagree with you. And I, and I want to make a point that his Lewis Hamilton's whole like thing is still I rise. So you're telling me that you think he's going to quit after he's been beaten in this whole big controversial situation. And then he struggles with his car next year when he's still got one year left on his contract and they could still make a car next year for him to beat Michael Schumacher's record. Yeah. Well, they thought that we're going to make a good car this year, you know, I mean, if, if you know, you put they put it into context. Look at the end of last season. Uh, he's not really got over it, as Chris says, which is actually a point I never really thought about. He then spends the full year not with a good car, not getting beat by his teammate, probably still thinking about what happened last year. Do you think he really wants to come back onto it again? I, I don't know. Maybe. You know, he's thirty-seven, coming on thirty-eight, maybe not. You know, all I'd say is if 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 he was going to come back then next year. He would be coming back in as not, you know, no defending champion or not the guy who just missed out or should have been champion. So then he'd really have nothing to lose, really. And he could come back and, and enjoy it because uh, he doesn't seem to be enjoying it as much this year, which is no, which, which is strange, right? Because he's been really enjoying it the last few years. Yeah. Yes, he's been winning, but he's been enjoying it more than ever uh, off track as well as, as well as on track. So I think he will want to go out on a season where, you know, he, he does that and, and have almost uh, a, a Valentino Rossi kind of goodbye season. You know, I, I think he'll want to do that. And I think we, we deserve to see that as fans. I, I think he'd he, he want to do that, definitely. You know, he, he's all about uh, the fans, isn't he? he? Everywhere he goes, he has a lot of respect for his fans. And I think he'd want to make it known that it was going to be his last season well in advance uh, before, before going into it. And... I'd love to see him win another title. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure all the British fans would love to see it. Um, you know, it'd be great to see him get that eighth title. Uh, and if it was down to what happened that, that, you know, meant that it didn't happen, it would just be one of the, the most talked about sporting events there's, there's ever been, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, I think he'll, he'll announce it well in advance. So I, I hope he comes back for at least a couple more seasons. Yeah, some interesting opinions there. I like that Emma and Coops didn't agree. And then Chris, you, you kind of took the middle ground, but then said, yeah, I think he will come back as well. I think we all hope so. Um, we could talk about Lewis Hamilton all day, but I'm going to need to get your predictions for this weekend, please. So, Chris, while we're here, I'll start with you. Can I have your podium, please? Your one, two, three for the Barcelona Grand Prix. Oh, OK. Wow. Um uh, I'd say uh, he's in such good form. I, I can't look past Max Verstappen for the win. Um, yeah, I agree. The Red Bull car is probably going to be very, very good. So I'm probably going to go for the... I don't know. Am I going to go for the one, two? No, I'm going to go Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz to get podium on home ground. That's nice. Let's, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I nearly went for the one, two, but I'm going to change it. And then Emma, I forgot that James always says, if you had five British pounds, what would you what would you put this money on? Emma, what's your podium? Uh, I think I'm going to do the same, to be honest. I think Max Verstappen is, especially if they bring in upgrades and they do actually work, I think that he could definitely get the win. And then uh, same as him, I think maybe uh, it's either going to be Perez second or um, Carlos. And then, um, yeah, and then, Either either way round, one or two, those two. 
happy with either. And then Coops, are you going to be controversial with your five British pounds or? Well, yeah, I'll be controversial. It's five Scottish pounds. Thank you very much. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I will put my five Scottish pound or my five pound notes because we do have them up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will. Yes. Uh, I'm. I'm going Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc for my top. Okay. So we're all putting our Scottish and British pounds on Red Bull <laughs> and Ferrari. No, we'll see if uh, some surprises arise. So mm. we're gonna in other F1 news, and I think maybe Chris has got a bit of an insider story on this one. Um, yes. Leclerc crashes Lauda's Ferrari during a demo run in Monaco. Chris, can you maybe yeah. in on that one? Yeah, well, I was stood right there when it happened. Actually, I was, I saw him go in, go into the corner, go into Rascals, and he never, never emerged again. Um, I mean, there was such a big hype for him there. I mean, I was doing a, I was going around the paddock. Actually, uh, I was working with Derek Bell there, um, and yeah, I, we just saw a sea of people following Charles Leclerc around. He'd just gone for his seat pit, and he came out onto the circuit, and uh, and he was, I got to say, he was pushing very, very hard. Uh, yeah, because Jackie X was out there as well. And, you know, I mean, I know Jackie's got some years on him, but uh, he was taking it, he was going around a lot slower, let's just say that. Um, but Charles was giving it some. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, all of a sudden goes into Raskas and uh, goes straight into the barriers. Uh, and, yeah, that, I mean, you could just hear the reaction from the crowd. Uh, and it wasn't the fact that he crashed. It was everyone knew how much money that was going to cost uh, to repair those because those cars, that's going to be probably seven figures to, to repair that car. So, uh, yeah, yeah, not not very good. And you could tell he felt very bad. But yeah, obviously it did later emerge. It was a brake failure, didn't it? So not, not his fault. But, uh, yeah, the curse of Monaco just uh, emerges on him once again. Yeah, well, I mean, from the pictures, I thought, oh, okay, it could have been worse. But then, like you say, when you think about how much that car is worth. Yeah, uh, yeah, they are. It like, The parts are so hard to get for those cars. Uh, and I can't imagine what the owner's face must have been like. I mean, I know uh, Alessi crashed last year in the Monaco Classic and the owner was in tears um, because I, I, he knew that the you know, that car might not be able to get repaired again. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was uh, for the lead of the race and they came out the final corner and, um, yeah, it was like one of the cars sort of missed a gear and the other car went straight into the back of the other one. And, yeah, Lacey was in one of the cars and, um, and yeah, and the owner was was generally crying in the pit lane because uh, he was just wondering how on earth he was going to fix the car and how, how on earth he was going to pay for it as well. So, uh, so yeah, they are you know, rare beasts. Uh, so I think Charles Leclerc just felt bad more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's an emotional sport, but I can bet it was horrible. <laughs> and if he now has a cracking Monaco, it will be like the curse is lifted, hopefully. Yeah. All, all positive vibes on this podcast. Um, in more Lewis Hamilton news, um, maybe Emma, what are your thoughts on this one? He seems not to be budging over the jewellery and his welded piercings, despite the FIA saying you, you have to remove them. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder which ones are welded because you've seen pictures he's just put on and his on Instagram and he doesn't have any bracelets on, he just has a watch on. And I was thinking, has he just taken them off? Like, it was a bit... Well, I thought it was funny what him and uh, Sebastian Vettel did when they were at the Miami racetrack last week. With uh, He was wearing, like, four different watches and all this different jewellery. But, yeah, I think... Uh, a lot of people saying that it's targeted towards him, but there is Pierre Gasly who wears a cross and he doesn't want to take that off. And there's uh, Kevin Magnussen and Sebastian Vettel with their wedding rings that have said they don't want to take theirs off. So it's not just Lewis. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I know um, James, who's not here today, one of our uh, members, has said that he wants uh, them to sit on a waiver just to like get it over and done with. And like if, if they do have an accident and the jewellery has an effect, then, then it's their fault and they've signed waiver and it's not formula one you know being held accountable but uh yeah i mean it's interesting we'll see what happens but i do think the way they've gone about especially last race i thought that was really funny of those two yeah it feels like one of those like why are we talking about this but then lewis turns up in four watches and you're like <laughs> okay we're gonna talk <laughs> we're gonna talk about it then um yeah we'll, we'll see i i feel like it's gonna be a fight till the end with that one um, over who wins in Jewelry Gate. Um, <laughs> in other news, um, Alpine is saying they're going to choose between Alonso and Piastri on or around the British Grand Prix. 
we'll go to Coops for this one. Where do you think they're going to go? Oh, that's... Mm-hmm. Or so, do you even think Piastri's going there? Do you think he's got another possible seat? This is a big question. Well, there, there, are, there are options for Piastri, but the thing about it is, and it's, uh, Chris will probably attest to, your, your career in motorsport, if everything goes well without injuries and other you know, financial reasons, it's not very long. Uh, when you've got a talent like Piastri seems to have, he goes into F3 and he wins it on his first try, he goes to F2, wins it, comes out of F2, can't go back to F2, there isn't a seat. So he's now the test driver for uh, for Alpine. And it's you're in the garage for Formula One, but it's harder to then get a seat because people will might forget and somebody overlaps you coming from a junior formula and oh look, he's raced on a track and they put him in. And there's poor Piastri in the background going, hey, guys, remember me? So Alpine rate him, they really rate him, but then you've got Fernando Alonso, and it's well, Fernando Alonso. Uh, who should probably be more than a two-time world champion. But he's coming up, he's over 40. And the, the stats, I mean, there's only been, I think, one or two race winners when you hit over 40 in the history of Formula 1. Or, well, maybe not the history of Formula 1, because down in the 50s, they were kind of that was young uh, if they survived the race. Uh, but this is the year they have to make a decision, because Alonso's out of contract. I want them to put Piastri in the car. I don't particularly, I didn't particularly rate Ocon, but he's kind of making me turn to think, oh, okay, you should be there. Uh, and Piastri's just a talent. You know, I've, I've got Piastri in my head, similar to the veins of, you know, your George Russell when he first appeared, Lando Norris when he first appeared. I think he's one of those kind of 10, 50 years. And if Alpine are serious about this being a long-term goal, you put your youngster in the car. You don't put your 41-year-old, you know, won two championships back in the early, you know, 2000s. Uh, as much as he might be talented, you get your youngster and you plan for the future, you plan for the next five years, slap a five-year contract on him if he does well and, you know, give him the tools, let him work. Uh, however, if they decide to go down Alonso, it looks like Williams. Again, Williams seem to be the team that a lot of the other teams want to, hey, do you want a driver? Yeah. Because uh, I think... <laughs> Nick DeFries is uh, has been tipped to head over there. Uh, surprisingly enough, it's not a it's not a surprise that he's ended up getting an FP1 uh, at the Spanish Grand Prix. But so basically, to sum it up, it's a long-winded answer to your question. Uh, Alpine like Alonso, they really rate Piastri. If Alonso doesn't get a renewed contract, Piastri's in the seat. If Alonso stays in the seat, they're looking to put him in a volumes. So they're looking to get him in a seat next year. They really need to put him in a Formula One seat next year. Or there's going to, or his his Formula One career is going to stall before he even begins. Yeah, I think like you say, you made an interesting point that it's about how long term Alpine are thinking here. You know, if they're like, we are going to have that success in a few years. You're so right. Surely it would make sense to put the talent of Piastri in that seat. Chris, what are your thoughts on the Piastri? I was about to say dilemma, but he's mm. he's not like you know his great talent. Yeah, I know Oscar pretty well. I mean, you've got to remember he. Achieved saying that not a lot of junior Formula drivers did. He won Formula Renault Euro Cup, F3 and F2 back to back, basically, which I don't know many drivers who actually went and did that. I think Lando came quite close to doing that uh, and George maybe as well. But um, uh, he's basically like a, a football player that's, you know, sitting in the, sitting on the bench for a year, just learning how everything works, getting used to getting used to the team. And then they're going to have to throw him in. Otherwise, someone like McLaren might even just come along and take him. Because, yeah, it, Nick DeVries is a perfect example of what Coop said. I mean, he should have been in F1. He should be in his third or fourth season now, really. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a surprise that he's not actually there yet. I mean, it's how he's only going in for an FP1 session now with Williams is a huge surprise given how well he did. Uh, you know, he was GP2 champion. So... Um, yeah, that, that could easily happen to Oscar. I think he did the right thing not going across to Formula E or, or World Endurance or something like that. Uh, I think he's done the right thing going into the team. And uh, yeah, I, I think he will be the one that goes into the team next year. If not, he will get stolen by by another big team. Yeah, fingers crossed for him. And then just to round up some of the other news, we've heard that Miami are going to keep their slot in May for 
that spectacle of a Grand Prix that it was and will continue to be. Um, Baku are making some changes to the pit entry for safety reasons. And then we sort of touched on that Alfa Romeo and Red Bull are heading to Spain with upgrades. I think now we're going to hear a little word from our sponsor. Support for Everything F1 is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate in men's hygiene bundle. You could join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EF1. You can use that code at manscaped.com. If my maths is correct, that's 8 million balls. Well, give or take a few. Manscaped are that good that even, even me, the, the reclusive tech guy, had to come and come and say something. But summer's coming, and as most men know, one of the worst things that can happen in summer is sweaty bollocks. When you're walking around and every, everything gets stuck, but with the Manscaped 4.0 trimmer, a little bit of ball toner, and then those fantastic anti-chafe boxes. You would be able to, I don't know why you would, but you would be able to wear jeans on a hot summer's day. I mean, if, if you see a man walking about in jeans, you know why. It's that. So the Performance Package 4.0, which I have to say is probably the best bargain for what you get in it, it's a game changer. It comes with their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is this little number it's waterproof it's got a uh, it's got a little light on it so you you're not going to miss the spot you can be as artistic as you like not saying i have but you know maybe the um crop preserver and ball deodorant will leave you feeling as fresh as you look the performance boxes i don't need to bang on about they're very good and a travel bag to hold all your goodies in which even by itself is a is a pretty nice bit of kit. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code EF1 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code EF1. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, just like Scott does now. Back to the podcast. If you can get those Im- images out of your head... Um, maybe we'll move on <laughs> to a bit of motorsport. Um, we, we ask all our guests, because, you know, some people may know you, some might not. For those that maybe don't know you that well, would you be able to give us a little introduction about what you do? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a, a commentator and a presenter uh, working in motorsport. I commentate for a bit for Sky Sports uh, F1. And I help out on some of their IndyCar stuff. I commentate for Eurosport on... Uh, lots of different things there. And I also commentate for the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, you know, the longest championship name, obviously, more known as Freca, uh, obviously what was formerly known as the Formula Run at Eurocup. Um, And yeah, commentate for them as well as several other things, uh, Le Mans Virtual Series as well. Um, So yeah, I do a bit for esports and with motorsport games and motorsport TV. Uh, But yeah, mostly it's, uh, yeah, working in the, in commentating and presenting. You seem like you've got such sort of a varied grasp on the motorsport mm. industry there. I suppose probably something I'd want to know is how did you start out in this career? What was the sort of the first step? Uh, yeah, well, I used to race, as I touched on earlier when I yeah. compared myself to George Russell, of course. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, so I used to race in karting when I was younger. Um, I started when I was probably 12, 13 years old. Um, but when I got to 17, something you can relate to yourself, Cara, I got diagnosed with epilepsy uh, and I had to stop racing. Uh, I had a seizure at a racetrack and yeah, my driving license got taken away from me and you actually get banned from racing for five years um, uh, minimum. Um, I mean, I still suffer with it now, uh, so I still can't drive. I don't know if it's the same for you, but yeah, I still can't drive, still can't race. And so I, I basically, you know, that, that was the end of that for me. And I didn't want to walk away from it completely. So I was doing TV and film at college at the time. I had access to cameras. Uh, I had a championship I used to race in that never got filmed and I always wish it did. So uh, I decided to take the cameras along uh, to the championship I used to race in and, and started filming it um, uh, and used that to 
submit for my college uh, college work. And uh, after doing it a few times, you know, we started making some money and uh, the footage was good, but it just needed some commentary. And I was going to pay someone else to do it, honestly, but um, you know, not very much, obviously. Uh, but um, but yeah, my dad kind of convinced me to to give it a go and. Yeah, the rest is history, really. Uh, that's how it all started. Um, when when I finished college, I got my first live gig, which was doing the British Car Grand Prix, uh, something that George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, they've all won. Uh, you get it's a car event. You get the GP plate if you win it for the next year, and that was my first live event in 2014. And and yeah, ever since then, I've moved on to uh, yeah, commentate more sort of single seater racing now. Yeah. Wow. That's one of those. You probably sort of hear it all the time, but sort of creating this sort of perhaps bad thing that happened to you and then it's turned around and now this you're sort of having this like really great career out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it happened. I, that's a weird thing to say. Obviously, it's, as you can relate to it, it is a, you know, it, it's a bit hard getting around, you know, travelling to race circuits in Europe can be a little bit difficult. Uh, yeah. I'm often the one begging people for lifts. <laughs> I might as well stand at the exit of the circuit with a cardboard sign off asking, to, is anyone going to the airport? I mean, particularly the last round of Freca at Imola, it was, you know, I had to go and beg the guy commentating on Clio's to, to take me to the airport because I had no way of getting there. Uh, and I nearly missed my flight. But, um, but yeah, other than that, it's, I'm glad it happened because otherwise I would have never ended up doing this. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it happened for the best, as they say. So, you know, I, I, I'm really glad it did. And I, I really enjoy doing it even, even more so than racing, I'd say. Yeah. To be fair, like you say, it gives me hope that you can get around and, you know, yeah, still yeah. go for these different opportunities, even with not driving. I'm sort of 10 months into my one year not driving. So obviously I didn't realize okay. it was five years for um, motorsport, but I know for obviously general driving it's just the year so we'll see yeah. we'll see how that yeah. goes but yeah, yeah. no look it's a very very inspiring chris sure. <laughs> oh, no. people are, i must say people are very kind i have literally gone up to people uh in the airport who have had racing jackets on and just you know uh, you're going to hockenheim i take it and they're like who are you uh and i'm like if you have a spare seat it'd be great if i could jump in um you know i've, I've got lifts back with drivers driver's parents uh yeah all sorts i had a guy that owned a hotel at the red bull ring pick me up from the from the airport because i had no one else to pick me up and and he was kind wow. enough to to do it so um yeah yeah that, so that was that was good yeah you, people are often you know kind enough to help you out when they they find out the situation you're in so yeah i mean to be honest it kind of sounds amazing that you get to meet so many different people from i'm sure as well there's the parts where you're standing in the rain waiting for a lift but yeah. um like all different yeah from different walks of life just literally forced i've got to go make some friends i've got to get to the airport yeah yeah that's it yeah he's <laughs> going around the press room uh, or yeah going back with the drivers uh say maloney was one i traveled with quite a bit last season because uh, he would always be flying back to the UK, so I'd go back with him and his driver coach quite a bit uh, to the to the airport, and it was always rushing to get back with him. Um, uh, and it will be the same case this year with the you know a couple of the guys that are based in the in the UK. So, so yeah, it, it always makes it interesting. It's a, it's a little bit difficult, but we always find a way around it in the end. No, that's so good to hear. I'm, I'm going to open the floor up now to our other Everything F1 team. Emma, have you got any questions you'd like to ask Chris? Uh, yeah, um, now that we're just talking about your career in general, uh, I know that you're focusing on motorsports, but if you couldn't commentate on motorsports, is there anything else that you would want to commentate on, like maybe another sport? Yeah, well, um, actually one of my big goals is to commentate on quite random is to commentate on the Winter Olympics, uh, you know, not the main Olympics. I, I love the Winter Olympics, uh, you know, the time trial-based sports. I think it goes quite hand-in-hand hand with motorsport, uh, you know, downhill skiing, um, you know, the you know, bobsleigh, things like that, race against the clock. Uh, I've practised it during the first lockdown. I uh, found that the Vancouver 2010 Games had all the footage from the Games uh posted onto YouTube with no commentary. Uh, so I just basically took about 12 hours of it, uh, commentated on it, sent it to the Olympics. Uh, I, I came very close to going actually to the last one, but but it seems that I'm in talks now with the Olympics to hopefully do 
one in the future. But but yeah, that that's a big goal of mine to to commentate on that. I just absolutely love the love the winter sports. That's that's so like props to you. Like twelve, yeah. that's a, you got <laughs> some kind of lockdown, yeah. Yeah, well, was, yeah, we were all locked in with nothing else to do, were we? So, yeah. uh, so yeah, I was basically commentating on uh, on people uh, doing the luge from like twelve years ago. Uh, so it was quite it was quite hard to do research for that because you had to go back in time and pre- pretend you hadn't seen anything. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it was it was really good fun actually. I bet no, that's really cool. Um, Coops, any questions for Chris? Uh, yeah, you mentioned that you do a lot of work for IndyCar. So as a kind of general question how are you how is indycar as a series doing in terms of you know is is there some kind of controversial things happening or things kind of settled and i know that it got was it if, if i'm right in thinking it was sold a few years ago was that right uh um, or was that indianapolis five the indy 500 track maybe but yeah i'm just curious I mean, how the how it's going yeah, I got sort of involved. I'm kind of a, the, the reserve, really, there, if you like, uh, for Tom Gamel when he can't do it. Um, so I, I did a couple of the rounds last year. And one thing I must say is IndyCar is actually in a really good place at the moment. I, I can't say I'd followed it particularly closely for a long time before that. Um, but it seems a lot of the drivers in Europe that aren't getting seats in F1 are now going across to, to IndyCar and finding that, Actually, it's a really good form of racing. Uh, you know, the cars are quite difficult to drive, actually. Uh, and and the racing is very good. So the paddock is very friendly as well. Um, you know, the drivers will really say good things about it. And there's a, a you know, a culture of European drivers. I, I think Renus VK really started that. Um, you know, when he started doing well, people in Europe started to think, actually, you know, you know, this could work for us as well. So... Uh, you're, I think we're going to find a lot more European drivers, particularly with Callum Eilat now going across as well. Uh, more like that are going to follow in his footsteps, um, you know, because he wasn't the only one that went over this year. Uh, you know, a couple of the, Christian Lungard from F2 went over as well. So uh, F2 drivers who don't make it into F1 will be looking at that as an option, I'd say, definitely, because uh, over there, they, they'll be absolute superstars yeah, if they do well in it. You know, it's followed massively in the US uh, and gets huge crowds and has huge people watching on the TV. I mean, it's quite interesting that for a long time, it seemed like it was like the nasty sister in the motorsport world. If you were a Formula mm. One driver, you're like, oh no. You know, and I think Nigel Mansell broke that a wee bit when he decided to go over, then it kind of disappeared a wee bit. Then you had the IndyCar cart kind of fiasco for a few years uh, but yeah it's all it seems to have kind of especially over in the UK I think with Sky Sports F1 picking it up so you actually yeah. had somewhere to find it uh, I yeah. think back in the days when I used to watch it when Montoya was racing it was Channel 5 and it was late at night so I had to get the videotape out record it and watch it the next day it ended up being a bit of a faff and then if you forgot to record that you know you were trying to find the highlights and of course back then I'm sure my age now but back then you know, you didn't have YouTube to get your, your fixes on it. So it's, um, but kind of linking into what you're saying, how is Carol Milot doing in IndyCar now? You know, he's moved over there for his full season. And how, what are you, what are you seeing from your side of it for Carol? Um, I, I, did, I haven't actually caught with the last race yet because I was away at the weekend, but the race before he was going along really well and then had an incident. Um, but, he seems to be settling in nicely. Obviously, it's a, it's a diff, much different car to, to Formula 2. Uh, so it's going to take him a little while to settle into it. Um, you know, you've got the push-to-pass system, which he will need to adjust to as well. Um, but he see, he's showing pace good enough for top 10, top 6. So, uh, yeah, he, he's settling in pretty quickly. I don't think it will be too long before he's he's challenging for the podium, I don't think. But there is, IndyCar is one of those championships where the guys at the front are usually the ones that have been there for a little while. Uh, Alex Pelot in his second season obviously went and won it. So uh, I think Callum, this will be a season for him to get used to it. And then he'll be one to watch going into next season if he stays, definitely. Yeah, we had Callum on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually. It was really interesting talking to him and sort of echoing what you were saying, sort of saying about that big adjustment from formula. But I think he was excited for it. I think he was yeah. living somewhere particularly cold in America that he was talking about. But other than that... Um, yeah. It's the tracks as well are so different to what he's used to. Um, you know, they're, they're 
completely different. That street tracks, he's got to drive as well. He's got to go on the ovals, uh, which is a completely unique challenge. And then even their, you know, their circuits are completely different to something like Barcelona. You don't have anything like that over there, really. So, uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough challenge. I think getting used to the circuits is one of the biggest parts and, um, uh, you know, and, and they refuel as well. Uh, so that's something they've got to get used to uh, during the race. Uh, so saving fuel, something you've got to get used to. The tyres as well. You've got the alternates, uh, you know, tyres as well. So you've got the two different compounds. So there's a lot for them to take in, uh, but he seems to be picking it up very quickly. Yeah. We've... We spoke about now a couple of younger drivers, so obviously Callum, Oscar Piastri, and you've done work in junior formula. From mm. your experience, do you think there are the opportunities for these young drivers to come up, um, obviously in Formula One, but also now in these other series as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the Formula Regional Championship that I commentate on is, you know, is, is one of the biggest places now, the biggest junior championships in the world. I mean, we have uh, 38 drivers signed up for it this year. Um, we're at the Monaco Grand Prix next weekend for the, for the third round. Uh, and there's some fantastic talents in that. You know, we have four F1 teams that have put yeah, young drivers in that as well. We've got a Red Bull junior, Ferrari Academy driver as well, an Alpine junior uh, also in there, and a Mercedes junior as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that I'd say that's the championship I know I'll be biased in saying that, but Frecker, I think, is the is the place to watch. So much so that Trident, uh, I don't know if you, if you follow F3 much, but Trident were the team's championships in that last year, and they now join the, the Frecker championship this year um, just because that's where everyone's going. So I'd say if you want to look out for who's coming up through the ranks, uh, Frecker is the place to look at before they're going to go and hit something like F3 or F2. Uh, which is when obviously they become a real name as they're in the in the F1 paddock. But there's some really exciting young talents coming up, even lower than that as well. Andrea Kimi Antonelli is a is a big name to watch out for in in F4. He he went and won all three races in um, ADAC F4 at the weekend. That I think it was at Hockenheim. Something that hasn't really been done for a long time. Uh, and he's sponsored by Mercedes. Uh, and yeah, he's being predicted to potentially go all the way already. So, yeah, that's one to watch out for. Yeah, I bet for you, I don't know, obviously, how long you've been in junior formula, but sort of seeing some of these guys at the very start and being like, oh, you know what, I've got a good feeling mm -hmm. about them or think they're a real talent and then being able to see them progress and have success. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I mean, I commentated on the FIA karting championships in 2018, um, you know, the FIA European and World Karting Championships. And, when I did Frecker last year and this year, basically the grid, I think it was about 30 of the 36 drivers on the Frecker grid last year were in the FIA karting championship in 2018 when I commentated it. So I saw all these guys as kids in karting. And then I see them again now racing in F3 cars. And it is great. I mean, they're all pretty much the same, the same kids. Um, you know, they're, they're just older, uh, but they're, they're still the same kids I remember from the paddock years ago. So it's good to have worked, you know, commentated on a lot of these guys when they were younger in karting and now again in, in junior formula. Uh, and yeah, there's so many great talents coming through. But yeah, that, that's one thing that was really great for me last year, particularly someone like Isaac Hadjar, for example, the Red Bull junior. I remember him back in 2018 commentating on him and, and then last year. Um, yeah, he then became a Red Bull junior uh, racing in Frecker. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely one to watch as well. Yeah, we're getting all the inside knowledge here. The small world <laughs> of motorsport, seeing them yeah, all, yeah. all yeah, still yeah. in here. Uh, Emma, is there anything else you want to pick Chris's brains on? Uh, yeah, just taking it back quickly to IndyCar. Uh, as a European IndyCar fan, is there a particular circuit you would recommend if I was to go to America and I wanted to watch IndyCar? Oh, um, oh I, well, I haven't been to any myself, uh, so I'm trying to think which one I would like to actually go to. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'd like to see them race on the ovals. Uh, I think that'd just be something completely unique, right? I mean, seeing them race on something like the Indy 500 would be would be absolutely awesome, wouldn't it? Um, so I'd say that's that's definitely that's definitely got to be one up there for, for me. Uh, there's so many good ones that you know that come to mind. I mean, even the Texas Motor Speedway is quite 
quite a cool one as well because it's a it's a smaller oval really um and i commented on that race last year and we had some really good racing there as well actually um but yeah i, I i'm not too sure uh i'd say yeah i'd say i'd say go to an oval circuit uh you know that's got uh, that's where you, you see them at their best definitely i know you've done some work um with the red bull junior feature and I've actually got a mm. better moment for Liam Lawson to win Formula 2. And I wondered yes. if there's any driver in particular that you think is going to be like the next rising star. Oh, uh, in terms of coming up through F1, I mean, yeah, Liam Lawson is definitely up there. I mean, I, I thought Yuri Vips this year was going to be, this was going to be his season. I was tipping him uh, and, you know, and the high-tech team to go and win the championship this year. Obviously, him having his crash in Imola didn't help. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I still think it could be potentially his year. But, yeah, Liam Lawson is an extremely talented driver. Uh, and, yeah, he, I, I think he's he's in line for a seat at AlphaTauri in the next two seasons, definitely. You know, uh, but Yuri Vips also, I think this could be his season in F2 as well. So, yeah, yeah, they're definitely both ones to watch. But for me as well, Isaac Hajar is the other Red Bull junior that's definitely one to watch. Uh, he's just been doing so well. Oliver Beerman as well for Ferrari. Um, I remember that kid. I, I commented on Oli Beerman as an eight-year-old uh, in, in in cadets in the UK. And, you know, he's racing for Ferrari now. So he's one to watch as well. Yeah. Definitely. Coops, I believe we have some questions from people on Facebook there any yes. of those you want to put to Chris? Well, first off, J.R. Witten, who's an American, uh, well, fan of the podcast, been helping us out and commenting for a while, has actually said if you come to Watkins Glen, he'll put you up because that's where he lives. So oh, if you want perfect. to come to Watkins Glen to see an IndyCar, <laughs> just give us a shout, we'll give you we'll get you in touch. Uh, so J.R.'s actually mentioned about Colton Herta, and he's yes. mentioned about him leaving... Indy to go to F1, do you think that's realistic? I hope so. I mean, you know, the only problem is he can be a little bit inconsistent at times. Uh, you know, he, he has a habit of crashing, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. This could have been his season to really run away with it and be like, right, this is it now. Colton Hurt has got to go to F1. But it's, I don't know if it is that the pressure getting to him. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. His name's being thrown around all of a sudden. Uh, but he could really break that spell of someone coming across the other way for, I, I don't really know when that was last done, of someone coming from IndyCar to, to F1. Uh, it's got to be years ago now that that was last done. So he has a chance of breaking that, but he just needs to tidy up his consistency, I think, for that to happen. Uh- the other question is from James Tiller, who's actually, he's the kind of boss man of everything uh, oh. He's got He's not on the pod tonight. He's got a poorly wee one, so hopefully the wee one gets better soon. But he's asked, uh, have, you, have you met any of the of your racing heroes? Um, have I met any of my racing heroes? Uh, well, I met, I met Lewis uh, when I worked for Gran Turismo uh, in Monaco back in 2018 I have to say he was a really really nice guy I mean we had about 50 drivers there and he yeah he spent time with every single one of them um so yeah he was good to me uh but I met my one of my commentary heroes in in Murray Walker as well uh, which was a really great experience uh it was a, a talk with him James Allen and Christian Horner um yeah which was great because you know I went on to work for James I, I sort of worked for James Allen last year now and he's helped me out a lot but um but yeah that was that was a really great experience to um to have that to you know, to meet one of my kind of commentary heroes yeah i mean mm. i feel like your career is just going from strength to strength if i think <laughs> myself i think oh, um man. maybe a nice question to end on would be what obviously we asked there about meeting your racing idols. What, is there any jobs or series or events? What, what are you looking forward to in the future that you'd really love to work on? Uh, I mean, yeah, when I first started out, I, I, my goal was to commentate on the world karting championships and do everything in karting. And then I managed to get to the FIA, but you know, since then, really it's, you know, I'd say the last three years, it's been F1. Um, you know, it started to become a realistic goal. Well, I say realistic. It's been my goal. I, I, I got to commentate on Formula Renault Euro Cup in 2019 at Hockenheim. And ever since then, 
F1 has been what I aim for. And and when I first started, obviously, it was a a dream that you know, I'd never thought would ever be possible. Um, um, that it might still never happen, but uh, but yeah, that's definitely my goal. If I could make it to F1, yeah, that that that'd be yeah. <laughs> Even just to do one race, that'd be it for me. But um, yeah, getting to F1 and then doing something like the Le Mans 24 hour would be would be amazing as well. So. Yeah, uh, I know that's a lot to ask, but, uh, but yeah, we'll I, see. <laughs> I should have caveat, caveated that with, obviously, other than the Winter Olympics. Yes, uh, yeah. Because that's the big, I'm sure yeah, they're, they're both yeah, going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely the 2026 Winter Olympics is, is <laughs> really one I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that comes off there. But yeah, to, to get to F1 is, is really my dream now. And uh, yeah, just going to try and do everything to make that happen. And, and yeah, fingers crossed. Well, we are the Everything F1 podcast, so we're we're pushing you that way as well, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. It's been great to come on and, and talk F1. Thank you so much. Um, and I should say as well, of course, thank you to our team. Thank you very much, Coops. Thank you. And thank you very much, Emma. Thank you. Make sure to find us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. We're on them all now. Um, our website, www.everythingf1.com. And remember to hit the bell or the subscribe button so you get your favourite episode straight into your earlobes every single week. We are here every single week. We cannot stop talking about F1 and every other type of motorsport. Chris, before we love and leave you, is there any socials you want to mention or any projects? Um, oh, yeah, at Chris McCarthy 32, you can uh, follow me on all of those. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm commentating on Formula Regional European Championship Balfour this year. So it's been a great season so far. We've got 37 on the grid. So yeah, come and follow that this year. We've got some good race. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This, there's been some incredible insight um, from you today. Oh, thank, you. Spanning, thank you. Spanning all areas <laughs> of motorsport. Um, <laughs> I've been Cara Vostok. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.